Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia as we venture into our sub-series, Talking TV Trivia. Whenever there's a TV show that catches our attention, this podcast picks a season and explores each episode through trivia. I'm today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom. KJ. And I'm Chris. Chris is here once again as our guest. I think we can get in for one more episode after this to complete this first season of this show. For those joining us for the first time, we start each episode with four trivia questions to determine who will earn today's trivia crown. Then we follow it up with a theme discussion associated with the TV episode, in this case involving season one of Disney's The Mandalorian. KJ, tell us about today's TV episode. Today we'll be discussing episode seven, also known as chapter seven, The Reckoning. This episode was directed by Deborah Chow and written by John Favreau. There will be spoilers for The Mandalorian up through Episode 7. Feel free to press pause until you are caught up. In Chapter 7 of The Mandalorian, The Mandalorian is heading back to where it all started to start to wrap up this season. Before we get there, we must land on the planet far enough away from the objective to have a journey to allow all of our favorite characters from Season 1 to talk with each other to explain the plot. We also get a new Jedi superpower that would have debuted in this episode if the scheduling wasn't shifted around to accommodate the rise of Skywalker. The Mandalorian, Chubbs from Happy Gilmore, and the second closest thing to a love interest find themselves trapped in a bar with one of the greatest villains from Breaking Bad holding all the cards. Let's jump into the rapid fire questions. Each question will be worth the same amount of points as the number of the question. So we're going one, two, three, four. It's time for question one. Why is Cara Dune hesitant to help the Mandalorian? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in? Gage? Uh, she says she's done things that would get her a life sentence on a lot of planets. I think because she was a shock trooper. Um, so she doesn't want to go with, uh, you know, fight or kill, I guess, some uh, local lord. So that's why she's hesitant. Tom. Says she's wanted for crimes. So she'll go to jail if she, if she gets caught. Chris. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with KJ pretty much like at the table. She basically says that she used to be a rebel and now the rebels are kind of running the show. But since that has happened, she's gone off and done maybe some unsavory things that she doesn't really go into. And that if her chain code was run, that she'd probably spend life in, in prison or in some sort of an internment camp. I'm going to have to give the points to everyone because all of you touched upon elements of it. She's advised to stay low as there's a bounty on her head. Uh, she's technically a deserter from the New Republic because she was a former rebel shock trooper. And she's encouraged to finally assist the Mandalorian because he explains that they're hunting an ex-Imperial warlord. And back in her shock trooper days, that's exactly the type of person that she would go after. She can't resist taking down an old imp. It's time for question two. During a discussion with the Ugnot Kuil, what does the Mandalorian think the child's origin is? Locked in. Ugnot. What the hell? What's an Ugnot? And uh, we talked about this in the prior episode. Uh, Ugnot is the little guy. Oh, oh, uh, Nick Nolte. Yes. Oh, oh, um, I really don't, I don't remember. I'll, I'll lock in. 
Octane? KJ. So it's not um, the child of the Mandalorian as suggested in the previous episode when, uh, what's his name? Brandon Burr. Aaron Burr. Says, Bill, uh, Burr? Bill Burr. Bill Burr. <laughs> Aaron Burr. Sir. Aaron Burr. <laughs> um, it's not that. And I thought it was Carl Weathers that says something about a pet in a menagerie, but I'm going to go a pet in a menagerie. Uh, that's my answer. Tom? I, from Wizards. Chris? Uh, they, I don't remember the exact terminology, but they thought that maybe he was some sort of like some some way of cloning and that Quill then says that I've never seen a clone that looks like that. Something, something in that range. I don't know the exact terminology, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it's, it's too ugly. <laughs> Chris is the closest. Chris will get the points because he did explain a little bit of the genetically engineered uh, just part of the discussion. The actual term, and this is the first time it's ever been used in Star Wars. He says the term, he thinks it's a strand cast, uh, which is something that is genetically engineered in a lab. And Kuil does remark that the child hasn't grown much. And that's what they started this conversation on. But he doesn't think he was genetically engineered because he looks too evolved, not created. So that mm -hmm. is the conversation that Chris was talking about there. But strand cast was the word. In fact, you might even say, uh, and again, this is a movie spoiler, which I think we're okay with in this universe, that Snoke may have been a strand cast, um, genetically created in a, in a lab type environment. So that was, the, that was a new term for Star Wars. That's why I brought this one up, Strandcast. It's time for question three. What is the name of the creatures that attack the escort party on Navarro? Locked in. Yeah, locked in with the only answer I, I know. It's a good one to know. It's worth three points. I'll lock in. KJ. Wombats. Flying wombats, KJ. Flying wombats. Don't wombats fly? It's a bat, isn't it? Wombats fly, but not womp rats. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what level of the joke we were going with there. So, yes. <laughs> All levels. <laughs> Star Wars wombats, womp rats, or? <laughs> Tom? I, I, I don't remember. Trinidorian. No, no. Sand people. The sand people. I don't know what they're called, though. Flying <laughs> sand people. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'd... Chris? Uh, they are known as Reptavians. Oh, actually, I have to check myself. I thought they were bog wings. Oh, well, yeah. No, no, that's what that's what Carl Weathers calls the child a little bog wing. But the the flying animals, I think they're called Reptavians. I don't I don't think it's even mentioned in the episode. I saw it in like the visual dictionary for the oh, for the Mandalorian. Oh, the flying pterodactyls. Yeah, I remember that scene. I, I think that I might have to disqualify my own question because I thought those were large bog wings. Are we retracting points from Chris on this one? Too much knowledge, buddy. I have <laughs> I, you know what? For, for the sake of the episode, I don't blame you because it's not in that episode. It's I not in that episode. I only know it because I, I have the visual dictionary for the for the Mandalorian and they will they will put things in those books that they never say anywhere else ever. Oh, actually, the question will stay in there. It's a pterodactyl. A bogwing is a type of reptavian. 
that's where the confusion came in because I thought they were just giant bog wings. So the points will stand. Bogwing or Reptavian would have been an acceptable answer. I probably I, I thought would bog, have. Ex- I yeah. thought Bogwings were the flying things that were on Dagobah. They are native. Uh, I can answer this. They're native on Aileen, Naboo, Dagobah, and Zigeria, if you must know. But they're all different types of Reptavians. Oh, okay. Because this, this is Navarro, so that means. Yeah. Well, they like, were, may not have been native. Yeah. I just like when I think bogwing, I think like a bog, like a like a bog like Dagobah is a swamp. So it's like yep. bogwing would be like that flying creature you see really quick fly past Yoda's hut. Yeah, I think reptavian is a, a general term. It says uh, exhibited reptilian and avian traits. Notable examples include Kadu, Rupings, Varus, oh gosh, I don't know what this is, Veracletus, Picobos, Picobis, bogwings, and Dactylians. So it's the genus and species names what you're saying. Yeah. Yes, yes. They, they exactly. stopped being able to breed about 500 million years ago. They split <laughs> off and form these different species. So I'm glad we went down that rabbit hole. Um, the answer is Chris got the answer right. I would have accepted bogwing because I actually thought they were bogwings, and there mm-hmm. was a reference to bogwings in this episode. So you know we can throw an asterisk next to this one later if we need to, but I, I I'll leave it up to uh, KJ and Tom. Do they want another thrown another one thrown in there? No, I, I think Chris points well deserved there. Yeah, yeah, yeah fair enough, fair enough. It's time for question four. The client, played by Werner Herzog, believes the empire improved any system it touched by any measure. How many metrics did he reference? Theoretically, Tom and KJ could steal this one. I'm gonna log. I'm gonna. I'm gonna lock in. Locked in. I'm going to lock in. KJ. And what has the Empire ever done for us? Public schools, roads. Yeah, those were nice. The baths. But apart from that, what has the Empire done from four? I don't know, four. Tom? I also had four. Oh, we should have coordinated that, Tom. Chris? I had five. five. Oh, Chris is going to take down this episode. Another flawless one. It is five. Although I actually had to pause and make sure two of them were connected because of the wonderful way that Werner Herzog articulates his speech. The five are, and I'm not going to imitate him because I cannot imitate him, safety, prosperity, trade, opportunity, peace. Although I wasn't sure if trade opportunity was one at first, so I had to literally break it down and look at some of the quotes for that quote to make sure it was five. (laughs) So it is five different things. All I want to bring up here real quick, he's excellent in this. I don't know what you guys, anything that guy says, it's just perfect ex-imperial magistrate, just great. He's got like a gravitas to him with his voice and the way he enunciates things that, and you totally get like a total character flip in this. Like, and when you see him in the first episode, you think like he's the big man, like he's the guy in charge. And in this episode, you find out that all of that bravado in the early, early days was absolutely nothing. Cause once he comes in contact with the, the main villain that we get introduced to in this episode, like you can definitely see him almost kind of shift and cower a little bit. Like he definitely bends the knee uh, to, to strike a game of Thrones tune to, to the, to the moth. Yeah. He's the underling. We think he's the boss, but he's the underling, which will work perfectly for today's 
theme and topic for the episode of super bosses. I wanted to talk about that a little bit because uh, this is one of those examples where who we thought was in charge is not really in charge. And we'll talk about that in more detail when we get back from this quick commercial break from one of our valued sponsors. We've all been there. You want to cut the perfect portion when preparing your Nerf tenderloin, but can't seem to get a solid grip on your vibroblade causing the prized steak to become ground meat? What a mess. Fear not, all Kaiba knives come with the latest quick switch technology. Just line up the emitter, gently press the switch, and voila! You have a clean burn both portioning and cooking in mere seconds. Buy your Kaiba knives today at our head showroom, conveniently located on level 5127 of the Galactic City on Coruscant, or wherever quality products are sold. Kaiba knives. No need to force it. And we're back. So I thought I'd change it up a little bit for this episode. And this may not necessarily relate directly to Star Wars. It can, if those are the examples we wanted to bring up. But the, the thought of super bosses, a lot of times in, for example, video games, you got a bunch of little underling bosses and then you see the real boss. This is the first time where we saw behind the curtain and saw the real boss. So I wanted to talk about that in-universe, outside of universe, where does this rank in, in, in some other references? Anything to do with the super boss type complex? It's fun, I suppose, to see, because it's it's also the, the main character is played by Giancarlo Esposito, who's known as a, you know, m probably more famous now for playing a villain in Breaking Bad than anything. Um, and so, you know, we kind of have an introduction to him. Um, he, he's... He's very different from uh, Werner Herzog's client in the sense that he seems to be um, in entirely self-interested. Well, Herzog's character is a true believer in, in the Empire. Uh, in, in terms of this this format you're putting out there, in terms of like bosses and super bosses and whatnot, you know, it, it's fun, I guess, to delay the main evil or the main villain because it builds the drama because you don't really know what is, is coming at you. Um, I think the what, what interested me, though, was the difference between um, Herzog's client and uh, Esposito's Moff Gideon, um, you know, how they differed in, in the, the types of things they believed. And I actually think that the position Herzog's character takes vis-a-vis -vis the Empire is actually kind of key to this series and also kind of westerns generally and why this series works well as a western i, I think i think the idea of a super boss is all through star wars i mean the, to quote everybody's favorite episode one that there's always a bigger fish and i think all throughout <laughs> all throughout the series you see that they're okay here's your villain oh there's somebody ahead of him oh there's your villain there's somebody ahead of him so like it, first 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 thing you see darth vader's your villain he's the big bad guy but then you find out that the emperor is pulling the strings and then this goes out through all the things and i also see i also think in star wars you see a lot of like especially with the imperials the idea of upward mobility that all of them are trying to outclass each other so that they can become the next moth they can become the next higher rank than they are right now and i think we didn't know it in the beginning but i think the client was trying to do exactly that he was trying to to, to to get favor by bringing the child to whoever wanted it and we can speculate about cloning and stuff that they wanted to use the child for 
midichlorians episode one again uh but i think i think you're seeing this idea of upward mobility and moff gideon reminded me a lot of grand moff tarkin in the idea that he's kind of no nonsense and he will cut you down as quick as he will build you up like he will build you up until the point where you're no longer useful and then he will cut you down if you if you go back to when they uh did the cgi effect for rogue one he uses uh ben mendelson's character uh Krennic all the way until he was no longer useful and then he steals the Death Star right off from underneath him and I feel like this was a not a callback per se but it's very very typical of Imperials to I'm going to use you use you use you oh you're no longer necessary we don't need you anymore you're you're expendable at that point so I I think it's all over Star Wars as well as other pop culture I'm I'm I'm, I'm sure and Moff Gideon like guns him down immediately he fires not only on the Mandalorian and his crew, but the own his own Imperials that are there, the local Imperials that were, you know, in that town already. Do you think that Werner Herzog, what he says about um, the Empire bring us prosperity, it bring us peace, it gave us trade, it gave us opportunity. Do you think he doesn't believe that? I think he believes that absolutely. I think it's the perfect Star Wars example of it's always from a certain perspective. That if you are a member of the Empire, if you're a member of the Empire, then you absolutely see your occupation of planets as being progressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so too. But I, I think that Werner Herzog, you know, his ambition, maybe he's, he's interested in, in climbing the ranks or whatnot, but I also think he's a true believer. I don't, from what we see as of yet of, of Moff Gideon, I, you know, he seems much more self-interested, right? And that doesn't mean Herzog's character isn't also self-interested, but there seems to be this ideology that that is driving him as opposed to just pure pure avarice or, or, or pure need. I think there's I think there's two, and I'm totally speculating on this because I didn't write it, of course. I think there's two different levels of Imperials. I think you have the Imperials who are there for the Empire's sake, and then you have Imperials that are there at the behest of the Emperor or what the Emperor stood for, what he wanted to do. And I feel like uh, Werner Herzog, the client, he was at the behest of the Empire in general. And whereas Moff Gideon, I think his his allegiances lie a little bit more closer to the Emperor himself. Even though at this point the Emperor is dead, spoiler for the movie, we know that the Emperor comes back and there's possibly some connections between this series and how that occurs. So I just think it's it's different levels. And I think that's why, like, the stormtroopers that are with Herzog are all dirty and disheveled, and they, they're they they're not the clean stormtroopers we're used to. The ones that are with Moff Gideon, they're pristine. And, and I, th- I think I think that's another connection to, like, Gideon is connected at a higher level than, than Herzog is. Are you saying there's a chance he may not be the super boss? I'm almost guaranteeing he's not. <laughs> that's how Star Wars works. I really liked when... Uh, Werner Herzog said what he said, how he kind of listed out how much better the, the world was when the Empire was there. It was very articulate too. It was just perfect yeah. tone and delivery. Yeah, he he played it. He played it well too. But I mean, it's a really good point, right? It's like, you know, the world we're introduced there is kind of chaotic, right? And that's that's this idea of the Wild West. The Wild West is this sort of open question, this kind of aporia, you know, un- unresolved tension or unresolved question between, you know, th- this kind of wildness or chaos, um, th- this sort of Hobbesian conception of the world, right? Where it's like 
everybody's going to kill each other unless we have a strong man to stop it, which is kind of like the empire. Um, and this kind of Lockean conception where it's like people can go out and they can sort of figure it out on their own and they have natural rights and they could, you know, as sovereign individuals, they could go out into the wild and they can like homestead right that's what john locke said you could get property by homesteading you just mix your labor with the land and make something of it and that's the west and that's where this show is it's in the west but there's this odd thing because when you go to the west in in the mandalorian world it's like kind of it's really hobbesian right it's like every man is out for himself it's a war of all against all um there isn't this like or a lot of this like productive homesteading where civilization comes up. But at the same time, the people who are best at kind of this like strong man ruling world are like the empire. And, you know, there's a lot of poison pills when you root for the empire. They've killed millions of people to make a point in Alderaan. And also in this show, their main goal is to torture a cute baby. <laughs> it's it's really hard to, to root for the people who are torturing a cute baby. So, you know, it's it's this really interesting, this is what I really, I really like this episode and, and um, um, I'm sure I'll like the one, uh, spoiler, I watched the one following, uh, we'll get to that. But, you know, uh, I, I like these two episodes um, for that reason. It kind of like, for really Herzog's character, it's just kind of like, yeah, he kind of has a point and it's kind of horrible that he has a point. I'll 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 play the devil's advocate to Werner Herzog though because I think if you look at the movies like 4 5 and 6 when the empire is at its height these wild west towns existed. Tatooine was always the hive of scum and villainy that it was. Mm -hmm. And I think he is using this generalization to his benefit because he is pro empire of course. But mm -hmm. I think that whether whether it's the the rebels are are the new the new republic runs it now or the imperials ran it then, I think there's always still those marginal planets and those marginal systems that are just left off you know, the, the the big gravy train that goes there based on mm -hmm. deep Star Wars kind of based on trade routes and, and shipping lanes and things like that, like like real life stuff. And I feel like you can feel for the every man, for the every person that lives on one of these random planets, because no matter who's in charge, they're still left behind. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the, the perceivable good guys, the perceivable bad guys, they're still just kind of in the mix. And although Herzog makes a very good point and, and says it very eloquently i i think he is still very biased in the yeah, idea yeah. that he's very pro-empire i get the impression that if they wanted to make that city ordered and not criminal they could do it right i feel like and and like the republic i get the impression like they just can't like the republic for all their they you know for all their um goodwill and and kind of, they, they seem to be, they don't say this in any of the Star Wars products, but they seem to be kind of natural rights advocates, the Republic. Do you like, want to do, do you want to fall down a rabbit hole? I'll tell you about it. <laughs> All right. So basically when, when the when the new Republic gets formed, they dis disassemble most of the Navy and the, and the things that are protecting the outlying systems mm -hmm. as a way of saying we are not the Empire. Mm -hmm. So I think that that also is one of the reasons why you get more lawlessness in, in these outer places. Oh, okay. What was Mon Mothma thinking? There's a book about Princess Leia that goes into the idea, like Princess Leia is basically saying, you really shouldn't do this because it's just going to allow the remnants to build themselves up. And Mon Mothma being the, the politician says, listen, I would love to do exactly what you want. I don't think that you're wrong. But at the same time, we have to prove a point that we are not the empire. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to keep order like the empire did, but we can't do it the way they did, 
even mm -hmm. if it means that we're going to fail in the future, which we see in the, the first, next movies yeah. that they sort of do kind of fail in yeah. the first order. So, first so order. it is kind. So, you know, regardless of whether Herzog is is technically correct in terms of what the Empire does for this planet, he is right philosophically. Once you scale back that that power, things go awry. Yeah, but it's also the way they go to get there. But needless to say, there's a lot of that's a whole nother show on talking about imperial rule and policies. But what I will say is I would really like to understand more of the client Werner Herzog's character's backstory. And what's great about the Star Wars universe, there is a chance in my lifetime there will be a small a short story a comic book or something else that may actually deliver because you'd be surprised which characters have full backstories written at some point so i'm holding out i think the only thing that you have to focus on to know his backstory is that he wears that gigantic like mr t size medallion yes. in the middle of his chest like that tells you all you need to know about him like he's one of those like fat cat governors that's running a planet or running a city or running a town whatever you want to call it like he's he was one of those fat cat imperials and now that the Imperial is kind of like circling the drain here, he's grasping at straws to go back to his like lap of his his uh, luxurious lifestyle. Check out our website, TalkingPicturesTribute.com, for more information about us and our episodes. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. Who do you think is the best portrayal of a super boss on TV or on the big screen and why? Leave a comment on our YouTube channel and let's continue the conversation. Thanks for joining us today, Chris. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Additionally, you can follow us on Twitter at Talking Studios. Where can the rest of you be found? You can find me on Twitter at ThomasLayman15. And you can find me on Twitter at KJ1000. I can also be found on Twitter at The Nickname. Join us next time as we conclude our Talking TV trivia series with The Mandalorian. Chapter 8, Redemption. Talk to you then.